mistakes, yeah. George. Yeah. And we're here. Here at Awkward Erotica headquarters. Why did you say goldfish before we started? Like, Because girl? that's the goldfish theme song. Uh... You know, the snack oh, that smiles back, goldfish. Uh, yeah, okay, sure. Can they copyright us for that? No, I don't think so. Uh, they might be able to. I don't think enough people I can't believe that you this. didn't just get that off the back. We used to live off of those crackers. Yeah, we really did. Hashtag sponsor us. Yeah, goldfish sponsor us, please. Thank please. you. Please. Um, to be honest, that's a terrifying slogan, though. The snack, the snack that, that smiles, smiles back. back. Yeah, it's horrifying. The snack that smiles, like... So much about that. Like, first of all, I'm not really smiling while I'm snacking. Like, maybe internally I'm, like, pretty content because <laughs> I love a snack. But, like, I'm not smiling. And the last thing I want is a snack that smiles at me. Certainly not. We are coming to you full of crazy. That's true. It's, full uh, of crazy. It's, it's not that late, but it's certainly too late for both of us. It's late in my brain. Yeah, it's true. My brain is late. <laughs> <laughs> to um, most things. We're doing the second part of our series on women in medicine. Um, this episode is going to be no fun at all. It's going to be very upsetting, so I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, but I love upsetting things. Yeah, truly. Um, so we're going to talk about the way women, women in pain, essentially, is what this episode about is about. Welcome <laughs> to my life! Yeah, truly, <laughs> honestly. Uh, and then we have two more parts in this series, I believe. Aren't you just so excited? You should be. Doesn't everyone love a series? Yeah, I do. I truly do. Yeah. I love a series. So does, so does Netflix. Yes. You know? That being there. Well, HBO. I guess they do movies, too. Yeah. Alright, let's uh, rage. So, the other day, I was uh, sitting in the kitchen. I don't know what I was doing. Sophia came down. She had to leave, but not yeah. before. She was enraged. And why don't you tell me what you're Speaking of about? Netflix. Truly. So, have you guys seen... This is not a new documentary, because um, I've definitely seen it before. Also, because it's not a new documentary. Yeah. But, you know... Um, but it's just been put on to Netflix, and it's the Woodstock documentary, and according to Netflix, it's trending, so I know some of you people have seen it, and, like, it just makes me so infuriated, because it is the epitome of how trash this generation was, and also how completely oblivious they were at the time and continue to be about how trash they were and continue to be. Like, let's just break down the mythos of Woodstock, <laughs> okay? Besides the whole, like, health hazard, gross, don't romanticize mud Truly. stuff. Yeah. Okay? Like, this was not a free concert. That's a big misconception, yeah. I feel. This was not a free concert. <laughs> this was a concert you had to pay to go to because concerts are not free. They cost money. <laughs> and a bunch of people just showed up and were like, nah, we don't want to pay for this. Yeah. We'll just sit in this field. Which, like, I guess on, like, um, some level I'm, like, damn the man. But, like, on another level, it's, like, mind-blowing that there was enough people who just, like, were, like, we don't give a fuck yeah. about a anyone who needs to get paid for this. Yep. Anyone who worked hard to put this thing together that I'm now going to enjoy. Yep. I'm just gonna fucking trample this fence and sit in this field. And then all of these people who had tickets couldn't even get in because all of these assholes who didn't have tickets were taking up space. Like, fuck you guys. Also, they block off the highway so they can't get any resources in. Uh. Like, safety hazard, just block them off. And so, like, this is not a free concert. They just show up and they want to do this. And they show up and they are not prepared at all. They don't have groceries or haven't conceptualized, like, oh, it might be a problem if, like, 
500 extra people show up like maybe they'll run out of food and medical supplies and washrooms ghosts plot twist (laughs) all of those things happen yeah um and so like the army has to airlift in medical supplies and the townspeople have to like donate their food from their groceries and their farms and their literal fucking kitchens so like again these people aren't paying for any of this they're not paying for the food or the concert or the medical supplies all of this stuff that these people have to sacrifice to give to them and then they have the audacity to sit there and be like it was like a functioning city. Yeah. Like, we really made it work. We really proved to the world that we could do something different. And I was like, the fuck did you prove? <laughs> this is not working. Everybody around you yeah. having to sacrifice, like, their, like, life and the things that they paid for yeah. and worked for so that you don't starve to death in yeah. your own filth is not you proving anything to the world or making anything work. That's not a working city. No. That is a bunch of babies in fringe and <laughs> flower crowns fucking asking everybody to coddle them. And then they have the nerve <laughs> to grow up yeah. into the fucking geriatric Republicans that they are <laughs> and point at us and be like, oh, like millennials yeah so whiny oh like you just need everyone to cater to you and i'm like bitch you destroyed the economy also we pay for our 300 hundred dollar concert tickets we pay for everything including your mistakes george i mean yes yes from i like i just think like I, the un, the, the lack of self-awareness amongst hippies always astounds me, particularly, like, white hippies. I'm always like, ah, yes. Okay. And also, the thing that gets me, like, I 10,000% agree with all of that. The thing that really gets me about Woodstock is, like, okay, hippies, the generation of, like, peace, love, whatever, like, of, like, you know, eating granola and, like, not showering for the environment, (laughs) whatever. You see pictures of Woodstock after all these people leave? It's just layers of trash garbage. Like, layers and layers of garbage. And who has to clean that up? Not the people who didn't... No. No. Like, workers have to come and fucking clean this thing up. So, like, that's, like, really irritate... That really irritates me. I'm like, what do you... Like, no. (laughs) Just destroy this man's field. Yeah. This poor farmer man's. Oh, yeah. That's, like, very upsetting. You're like, no. The other thing, too, is you're watching them, and they say those things that we now associate with the hippies, all of the peace, love, like, whatever, copacetic drug shit, and they mean it, right? They mean it. They're saying it so sincerely, and I was, like, sitting there, and I was like, it's kind of weird, this huge cultural shift, because to us, that stuff is so... Like, it's so sarcastic. It's yeah. so, like, peace and love. Like, no one says peace and love without, like, a hint of irony. Yeah. And I was like, oh, like, I wonder how that shift happens. And then I was like, oh, I know how that shift happens. We have a whole generation of people who preach peace and love and then turn out to be assholes. <laughs> That's why nobody believes sincerely in peace and love anymore. Because of them! Yeah. Yeah. Those fucking dicks! Yeah, truly. I, I do think that there are interesting messages now around quote-unquote peace and love that are not done in the same way as, like, that generation. And I always like them better. There's, like, one of my favorite activists, also authors, also podcaster. He's just brilliant all around. DeRay McKesson. I love him, truly. Oh, my God. With his blue vest. What a guy. But he says this thing all the time, and he's like, hope is not something that we sit around and do. It's an action that we undertake and I just like to me that is kind of like the grown up version of like the peace love and whatever yeah because it's still about like hope it's still about like love but it's about an active approach to those things and I quite like that and to me it just it, it feels more sincere yeah well I think it like it feels so insincere because It's, like, that generation only cared about those values in the, like, very immediate, like, the way it affects them. 
Yeah. Like, yeah, there's a war going on at, at the time of Woodstock, and yeah. most of these kids are going to be drafted or know people who have been drafted or could be drafted, and they're like, I really don't want to fight this dumbass war. And that, respectable. But it's like, that's the only time that they care, is in that moment in time when it specifically is affecting them. Then afterwards, they go on to be the generation that votes... George Bush Jr. in office twice and is like, let's fucking go look for these weapons of mass destruction. Like, God, I hate, I just hate them. (laughs) I just hate them so much. Truly. Out here paying no money to go to university, fucking jobs everywhere, like, living their best lives, and they have the audacity to turn around and be like, maybe just eat less avocados. Well, it is especially frustrating even when you look in the context of, like, the 60s. Like, you have this whole, like, group of people who are like, oh, peace and love, like, doing Woodstock, and then there is, like, a group of people who are literally, quite literally, having to fight for their rights all the time because you have the civil rights movement and who are, like, being shot at in the streets, like, being tear-gassed, being, like, and they're not, they don't have the time to sit around and be like, oh, peace, love, and happiness. They, like, have to, like, so that, to me, also is very frustrating. You're like... Yeah. Okay, you kind of just get to take a passive approach to this. Yeah, and that's not, yeah, like, that's a good point because it's, like, obviously civil rights, like, like, things are happening at this time, and there are people who are serious about these ideals and who push them forward, but to me, the reason that Woodstock irritates me is that Woodstock is the epitome of the superficial, shitty parts of that movement of that generation that goes on to like fuck over the rest of us and that's what makes it extra frustrating for me is because i'm just like oh for grant we're just like for life i didn't need whatever but like it's like you are the center of the universe of course obviously i just meant like in my opinion yes it's extra frustrating because it's like you know, a lot of the time, because, like, either you're white or you're a man or whatever privilege it is you hold, you can take passive approaches or you can take approaches to this when it only affects you. Whereas, yeah. like, I think, like, per the civil rights movement, when you're black, when you're a black woman, when you are... Also, there was a lot of, like, gay rights happening around that time as well. Yeah. Um, when you're always under attack, you don't get to take that approach where you can, like, you know, call something like Woodstock... Yeah. A revolution, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. you don't, you don't have that luxury so much, so it's just like, oh, you guys just kind of get to sit around and be like, yeah. Meh. Well, and it's like, you know, using, using civil rights, like, yes. it's a oh, fucking yes. prop. Yes. You know, and Absolutely. like, so many of Absolutely. those bands just go back to, like, rock and roll and fucking yeah. Woodstock, do that. Like, yeah. the Stones, who are like, Oh, we're rebellious. I mean, I know that the Stones don't play at Woodstock, okay? So whoever is about to write some comment about it, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. You know yeah. what I'm saying. They're in the genre. Yeah. Um, who, like, they're all, like, rebellious and, like, damn the man yeah. and whatever. And then become literal fugitives from their country because they refuse to pay their taxes. Yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. Like, fuck you. Yeah. Also, rich choir boys who go to Oxford for business and then want to go around pretending to be rebels, like, yeah. ooh, like, ooh, yeah, come at me, police. Like, fuck you. Yes. Uh, none also, of this matters to you. No, you're not fighting for anything. No, while also making money off of, like, riffs that were written by black artists, yeah. too. Like, that's another thing about this whole movement, right, of, of, like, music, is, like, a lot of the time you're, like, listening to these artists make money and make sort of uh, political statements that ring empty, while using the music of black artists that never get the recognition for it. And then you're like, okay, great. <laughs> like, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, our rave. Rage? Rave, rage. Rage, rave. Rave. Let's rave. Rave. Let's not rave. Let's get into rave culture. I'd be so horrible Next, at raves. the next series we do, Sophia and Melina go to a rave. rave. Oh, that would be so funny. And then we try and record, and then we try and interview the ravers. Oh, God. And they'd be like, why are you here? All of us are 14. And we'd be like, <laughs> great point. Great point. That's true. All right. Shall we get into our episode? Let's fucking do it. Okay. So... I swear a lot. I'm just noticing that. Sometimes I go through periods of swearing and then not swearing, but, like, every once in a while I'll be like, oh, I'm swearing a lot for me. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so women, men, women and men. <laughs> women, men. Women, men. Women and men are treated differently by healthcare professionals in a lot of ways. This is something that I don't think will come as a shock to you if you're listening to this podcast. Um, one of the biggest disparities is in the way that their pain is treated. Um, I think this is important because it affects how you get diagnosed, how you get treatment, medication you can access. It's important for a myriad of reasons, which I'm sure you can imagine. Um, so I think the best way to start is to um, give you a couple of anecdotes, which I think it just really sets up how this affects people's lives in a very visceral way. Like I think the stats are important, but I also think like hearing people's individual experiences really, like it hits me in the gut every time I read one. And then of course, like I, we have our own experiences, yeah. but something about reading it is validating and also like you're like, oh wow, like this is a thing, right? So the first one um, is of a, about a woman who lived in L.A. Essentially, when she's in high school, she starts experiencing, like, weird symptoms, um, which include fainting spells, which would start with her ears ringing, and then her whole body would tingle, and eventually she'd pass out. Sounds like a regular Friday night. Yeah, so, like, you know, not good, man. Um, she'd also experience chronic fatigue, severe shortness of breath, and, uh, yeah, neither of those things are particularly good, especially when you're a high school student and you're, like, running around, like, it's, like... Did you do a lot of running in high school? <laughs> just constantly running just, the fuck running. around. Like hamsters. No. They're just like, God, go, God, go, God, go, God, go. To be fair, I did, like, a lack of running in high school. I, like, avoided running. I hated... I was not athletic. Anyway, um... So, the first time she gets taken to a hospital, um, it really sets up how she then continues to be treated by doctors throughout her life. So, she, like, faints in the middle of, I think it was, like, a softball game or something, and her doctor asks her what she'd eaten, if she had issues with her weight, and my personal favorite, if she had a problem with her brother getting better grades than her. That's definitely a thing that makes me pass out all the time. Yeah. I'm like, God damn it, brother. Yeah. Why must you thwart me in this way? So basically the implication is that she's doing this for attention. attention. Which, oh, does that sound, does that sound relatable? What other, what other thing are women diagnosed where one of the symptoms is attention seeking emotions? Hysteria. Bam. Yeah. Fucking mic drop. Truly. That's the thesis. Yeah. We're still doing this to women. Surprise. Um, so the doctor sent her home, but it keeps happening. She sees four different doctors all in high school, and they all tell her that she needs to see a psychiatrist. <laughs> which uh, is great. For fainting. <laughs> like, Again, you're just crazy. Next, they're going to tell her to get a husband and yeah, get laid. Yeah. Um, and she did see three psychiatrists, and they all were like, there's nothing I, we can't, there's nothing that we can diagnose you with. Like, they were like, this is not my area yeah. of expertise. Yeah. And so I think like a lot of women, she gets tired of being doubted and having to fight to be heard over and over again. That really takes a toll on you. And so she just tried to live with the symptoms. She was fainting on average two times a week. And she was in and out of the hospital up to six times a year. And this is in the States, right? Like, it's expensive in Canada because you have to pay for the ambulance. Um, it's but, emotionally expensive. Yes, but you don't have to pay for the ER visit. But in the States, you do. That's like a not a cheap situation. Um, unless you have insurance that covers ER visits, but a lot of people don't. So when she's 23, she passes out at work and wakes up in a hospital two days later. Jesus. The doctors tell her that her heart had stopped. And so what they did is they placed what is essentially a pacemaker slash like defibrillator in her chest. Um, she was eventually diagnosed with a rare heart condition that has been known to cause sudden death in the past if it's not caught early enough. Low stakes. Low stakes. So, like, this is incredibly frustrating, right? For so many reasons. And also, I'm sure, is not unfamiliar to you if you are a woman who has tried to access healthcare. Maybe it's not this extreme, but I'm sure you've experienced some level of this. Yeah. Where it's just like, oh, well, this is all in your head. Yeah. Well, that was like I even said when you first brought this up. When I was in university, I screwed up my ankle. It got swollen. I couldn't walk on it. It was like really, really, it was like burning up. And so I limped my way to the um, a school clinic. And I was like, hey, 
my ankle is swollen here see you can see it <laughs> and it really i can't walk on it like it it's hard to explain like it's not just like oh it was sore yeah. like no i couldn't walk on it believe me i was trying yeah uh, i it was the first time i realized that limping wasn't actually a choice yeah I always thought that it was like, oh, you limp because you're just, like, trying not to be in pain. Yeah. It was the first time when I realized I was like, oh, no, your body limps. Yes. Like, I was not able to put pressure on my foot. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, so, hi, th- I, this, to me, says perhaps a problem. Yeah. And he was like, nah, like, just rest. And I was like, that's it? Like, you're not gonna, you don't want to try and do an x-ray maybe? Yeah. Do a feel? Like, I think that maybe... That's all you have for me? Just rest? And that's what I mean. Like, just rest. That generic. Not ice it, not compress it, not elevate it, not it's a sprain or a, I don't know, a twisted ligament bone thing. Nada. That's all I got. The attitude was like, oh, this is not a, this is not a real problem. Like, you're over-exaggerating this. Like, you, like, bruised your ankle or something. I don't know. And now, like, years later, I still will, every once in a while, like, have this flare-up in my foot where I can't walk on it. Yeah. Because I don't think it ever healed properly, because this fucking doctor was just like, meh, you're probably fine. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's not that bad. Yeah. And I was like, no, sir, you don't understand. I don't go to doctors. Yes. That's true. <laughs> so I'm here because there's a problem. Yes. Well, and that's, like, kind of the thing, right? Like, there is a history of doctors assuming that, like, women are making it up, and part of it comes from this trope or stereotype of, like, the irrational woman, right? Like, women are irrational, and the stats bear that out. So women are more likely... They don't bear out that women are irrational, sorry. They bear out that that's how women are treated by doctors. An (laughs) important clarification. So women are more likely to be referred to psychologists or psychiatrists, whereas men are more likely to be given tests that rule out, quote-unquote, organic conditions. This, like, speaks to the story Sophia just told. There was no x-ray, and a lot of the time, if you were a man walking in with the same condition, he would have given you an x-ray or performed tests to rule that out. Because men are really tough, so if they come in complaining of a boo-boo, you know it's real. Yeah. Even though anyone who spent any time with a man knows this is, in fact, false. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's well. Another incident in 2009, there was a woman who goes to a doctor, and she's, like, complaining of similar symptoms of, like, the first anecdote that we told, right? So, like, dizziness, fainting, tingling, whatever. Um, and her doctor tells her, her doctor's like, well, you're just focusing too much on your body. Like, don't think about it that much. Again, this idea that it is all in her head. He's like the opposite of a yoga instructor. Yeah, <laughs> you're just like, don't think about it. And I love that, right? It's like, don't be intuitive. Don't listen to your body. Don't trust yourself. Don't trust yourself yeah. because you're, you're, you're crazy. crazy. And like, that's so shitty. Anyway, she's admitted to the ER with chest pains and a heart rate of 220 beats per minute. And she's told it was a panic attack. And she was given a Xanax and told to sleep it off. Like, and it does turn out that she does have a heart condition later on, but, like, they're just so unwilling to look past their own bias. Because women are hysterical. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's just, like, that implicit bias is what causes healthcare workers to not take the pain of women seriously or to write it off. Doctors are more likely to immediately assume without testing that physical symptoms expressed by women are attributed to anxiety. There have been reports of doctors telling women that their experienced pain is due to marital issues or overthinking. <laughs> and that's like a modern thing. It, see, it all comes back. We think that we have moved so far into the future. Oh, we're so smart with our fucking smartphones yeah. and shit. But no, look, no. we're literally just doing the same thing we've been doing for centuries yeah and it is a real problem it affects the way that women are able to access healthcare. so <clears throat> it can take years to get a diagnosis with attitudes like this and there's evidence that suggests it takes much longer for women to be diagnosed than it does for men like that's something that we see in studies and reports um, it can also mean that diseases advance past treatment before being diagnosed which is obviously not good Um, And not to mention the fact that women have to suffer in pain longer or suffer from their symptoms longer because they're not being taken seriously. Like, all that is bad. It also affects women in a way that I hadn't considered. This really kind of blew my mind and made me extremely angry. Um, But because there is this dismissal of women's pain by sort of attributing it to, like, 
being all in their head, um, they're more likely to be given sedatives when they come <laughs> in with the same symptoms as men. The men are more likely to be given painkillers given the same symptoms. Yeah. So basically it means that in ER situations, women may not be able to communicate their symptoms or their symptoms go unnoticed because they've been sedated almost immediately. Yeah. Which is fucked up. It's basically like hysteria. It's like, oh, she's being hysterical. We don't want to take the time to listen to her. She's being irrational, so we're going to sedate her. As opposed to giving her painkillers until she can communicate to you the way that they do with men. Also, like, how are you going to accurately diagnose someone with anything if they can't tell you what's happening yeah and i i just i i and that's something that came up in almost every journal article i read about this that comes up well and like there's a history of that just like in in medical practices like women used to be knocked out cold when they gave birth like my nana would be like do i have a baby like i don't know i was not yeah awake for that it's just like we don't want to deal with you yeah and it sort of goes back to what we were talking where it's like talking about where it's like women the pain women experience isn't real or like they can't be trusted to communicate their own symptoms. And also like we don't need their consent. No, again. Also, obviously, yeah, of course. To like do any kind of medical treatment. Yeah, no, we know what's best and therefore we, we're gonna do We it. know what's best. Women are children. Yeah, and that, so the author of Ask Me About My Uterus was told for years by doctors that the pain she was experiencing was from a UTI. I got that a lot too, which is super fun. Um, but it wasn't until her boyfriend came with her and quote unquote vouched for her pain that she was finally admitted and eventually then diagnosed. But it's, again, that thing, right? Like, we women can't be trusted. Yeah. Uh, men know what's going on, so we'll listen to a man when he comes. Yeah. In. That's truly insane. And we'll do the sec. The next part of the series will be about endometriosis, PCOS, vulvodynia, those series of chronic illnesses. Vulvodynia kind of sounds like an alien planet. It does a little bit. With a race of Amazon women. I mean, I wish that that's what it was. Truly, that would be lovely. But yeah, those diseases are sort of like uh, treated that way a lot and we thought it would be best to sort of do them in their own episode. Yeah. Um, But this is called, there's a name for this, it's called Yentl Syndrome. And it's the idea that women are more likely to be treated less aggressively in their initial encounters with the healthcare system until they prove that they are as sick as their male patients. It's like coined after a film that Barbra Streisand is in. I think it's poorly named because it isn't actually like a mirror of what happens in the film. But regardless, it just makes like, me think of lentils. Yeah, it's <laughs> which I'm I'm not really sure about the relevancy of lentils <laughs> no. to this. But I think it's like it's interesting to me that there is a coined term for this in the medical community. So it's like they know that it's happening, yet it's still happening. Like no one is like doing anything or enacting policies that mitigate this. They're just yeah. like, oh yeah, we know that this happens. Also, just to draw a parallel again, right? It's like the use of fictional character archetypes to yes. diagnose women. Yes. Like Ophelia. Yes. Like, it's literally the same thing. You just upgraded your reference. Yes, that is a very good point. Also, you had an instance where, like, your doctors also didn't believe you, right? Like, when you went in with for your kidney stones? Yeah, well, it wasn't so much that they didn't believe me. It was more that... So, like, I had kidney stones. I didn't know I had kidney stones. I was, like, what, 17? Basically, it just started as I had a sore back, and then the sore back escalated to a point where, like, I couldn't move. And because it was like, it's hard to explain. Like, it, like I, I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't move. Like, I was in so much pain. Uh, and if I moved, I was going to, like, break something. And then it was, like, the first time where I would throw, like, I started throwing up just because of pain. Like, mm-hmm. it had nothing to do with my stomach. I was just, like, vomiting because I was in pain. But, it, like, because I hate hospitals so yeah. much like I called my mom and I was like I think something's wrong and then she came home and I was like lying on my back on the floor again because I couldn't move and she's like okay we have to go to the yeah. hospital and I was like no <laughs> I don't think we do and she was like are you kidding me you have some kind of wacko paralyzing pain and you don't think that we need to go to the hospital and I was like no <laughs> And she's like, all right, bitch. She, like, throws me in the car. 
So by the time we get to the hospital, like we have to wait in an ER because that's what we have to do. And I, I can't sit. So I'm lying on the floor of an ER, which I don't, it, it's gross. Yes. <laughs> 10 out of 10 would not recommend. No. Like that's how desperate I am. Me, germaphobe Sophia is lying on the floor of an ER. Yeah. I was surrounded by crying children because I wasn't 18 yet. And then you have to go up to the receptionist nurse. I don't know. I don't really know what their titles are, but she sits at the desk before you get to go back to see a doctor. And I, like, have to explain to her what is happening. But I can't even sit, and I'm, like, vomiting. And so I'm trying to tell her, like, I don't know what's happening. Just, like, crazy pain all through my abdomen. And she is just being an asshole. Like, she's like, I'm sorry. Like, you're not speaking very clearly. Yeah. And I was like... I am in a lot of pain. And she was like, can you look up at me, please? I don't know. Like, it just felt like she was just, it, it was like she thought that I was throwing some kind of... Yeah, fit. Fit. Like, yeah. I, like, it, like it was a tantrum or, 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 yeah. or, like, I was a kid trying to get out of going to school yeah. is probably more what it was. So it was, like, no sympathy and, like, this continuous, like, attempting to get me to do things where I was like, no, like... I physically can't do that right now. Yeah. Like, I honestly can't even really sit in this chair and talk to you. Yeah. Like, I just need you to, like, get me through. And then once I got through, it took them a really long time to, I don't know, figure out what was wrong or treat me because they just kept being like, are you on drugs? Like, are you pregnant? Because I guess that's what 17-year-olds come in here for. And I was like, no. And then they were like, do you want your mom to leave? And I was like, no. I'm not on drugs. I'm not pregnant. And they're like, mm, maybe your sh- mom should leave. So just like I, I went into the ER at, I think it was, it was like four in the afternoon. Yeah. And I got out at one in the morning. Yeah. And it did not because it took a long time to like treat it once it was done yeah. because it's kidney stones. There isn't a treatment. They just give you painkillers yeah. and you go. Yeah. It was that it took them so long to like take me seriously yeah. or believe anything that I was saying. And that was that's incredibly frustrating. Maybe if you brought your boyfriend to vouch for your pain, they would have seen Or my you dad, earlier. but I don't know. And I don't know like that instance it's I think a, a, a lot of it also had to do with my age. Like yeah. I think being a teenager, they're just like, "Well, you don't know." I think that's also not great. Though. No, I think it's not <laughs> like, great that's either. That's not good. I think it was probably compounding factors of the fact that you were, like, a a girl and then also that you were a teenager. Yeah. All of that is not good, though. Like, you should take people's... Pain, seriously. vomiting. Like, I think that's so wild. I couldn't... I'm not faking it. Like, what do you think is happening here? It was so... It's, like, so hard to describe how rude this nurse was to me. And I get it. Like, nurses work really hard jobs, long hours, very thankless. But I just remember the timing, like, are you kidding me yeah no like I just the moment where she was like can you sit up straight I was just like no no like I can't I literally can't also it's in an emergency also what the fuck like why does that matter no it doesn't it's just like the idea that we have to like prove our pain or we have to I don't know it's something about it it's just so exhausting like even just talking about it you feel drained or like having those experiences you're like Jesus something we also want to note that like all of this so black women are at a different intersection of this in that I think like um they often experience this tenfold right like there's this like long history of black women having to strongly advocate for themselves in healthcare settings in order to be even admitted to a hospital. Um, and they're more likely to receive misdiagnoses, receive incorrect treatments and to be diagnosed at more advanced stages of most diseases. There's also like very unique and complex, um, health issues that doctors are just not, they, they like are unwilling are and are ignorant to, Um, that black women often have to go in and explain to their doctors. There's this great Serena Williams article about it. Also, there's an article um, that I will link in the show notes that I would just encourage everybody to read to get a sense of, like, how this affects... Because it's women, but also, like, everything is intersectional, right? So, like, it's just... It's important to have a grasp of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
So, why does this happen? Beyond, like, the framework of hysteria that is woven into the fabric of medical Men suck. Yes. That also. Good point. Good points. Um, but also, the gender data gap. Basically, much like with the case with hysteria, there are like misconceptions that come from a lack of knowledge and a lack of trying to find that knowledge. There's been little to no effort to study how women are affected by disease, medication, and pain differently than men. A study in 2000 published by the New England Journal of Medicine found that women are seven times more likely than men to be misdiagnosed and discharged in the middle of a heart attack. Why? because the medical concepts of most diseases are based on the understandings of male physiology, right? So it's like, we don't have the data. Like, once you look at a man, why bother with a woman? Like, yeah. props the same. Props the same. Props the same. Another big one is chronic pain. 70% of people experiencing chronic pain are women, but 80% of studies about chronic pain are done on male mice and human men. Never mind trying to get anything studied on people who are intersex. Yeah. We just have a giant data gap that we are not filling. I also wonder if part of that comes from the socialization of female identifying people to, to bear pain. Yeah. You know, in a different way. So it takes longer for women to seek out uh, treatment. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, chronic pain, like, the fact that more women suffer with chronic pain, like, it makes sense to me in the sense that, like, obviously, as you've been saying, like, the, the medical institution is doing a really poor job of, like, taking seriously and treating and, and researching. Yeah. But also, I think that women are socialized to accept a certain amount of, as we've said in the past, discomfort. Yeah. But I think with that comes a certain amount of physical pain. Yeah. I mean, f you know, from cramps to bras yeah. to sex, yeah. there is this sort of attitude of like, well, yeah. No, I think that's definitely part of it. And like, that's something that's also in the data gap is how social experiences affect the way that women experience and pain and then therefore access healthcare. I think that's also important too. As much as important as it is to study the biology on women in a way that we're not doing, I think it's also important to study how social and cultural factors affect the way women experience these things. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, so in 2015, the NIH introduced a policy that requires medical investigators to take sex into consideration. So anyone who applies for grant funding from them um, must research on both males and females or give compelling reasoning why only one sex should be examined. So a lot of the reasons why this is the case, it's because chromosomes and hormone cycles are things that affect the way pain is experienced and also the way medications affect different individuals. And I think that while this is a step in the right direction, it's still not enough because the language implies that there are only two sexes, which from our gender and sexuality episode, we know is not true. Um, what we should be focusing on is studying people with varying chromosomal and genome makeups, as well as hormone levels, which would give us a much broader understanding of how bodies interact with pain, as well as a better understanding of how our bodies work in general, something we're not doing right now. We've been operating so long under the idea that there are two kinds of chromosomal makeups and that our biological differences are based on those two categories alone, but the truth is much more complicated than that. And until we start trying to understand it, people are gonna suffer. It's not just about uterus or no uterus or like testosterone or estrogen. Like those aren't the makeups that we're operating with. And so people are being left out of the equation. It is incredible that medicine is still looking at things in such sort of rudimentary or crude forms yeah. right like even the idea that you're studying things based on gender or sex seems a little bit backwards like i understand that why as like plebs yeah. that's how we talk about it yeah. but really you would think at this point medicine would would be looking at things purely in terms of chromosome and hormone makeup because yeah. ultimately that should be what you are referring to yeah. um, when you talk about whatever, like gender or sex or blah, blah, blah. Um, and so 
science is trying to be as exact as possible. So why are you not using the most exact qualifiers? Well, there's such a, like, dissonance to me, because even, so doctors understand, and something they talk about, like, just as a personal example, I have higher levels of testosterone than the average woman, quote-unquote, whatever that means. And that's not, I have friends who have heard similar things, so it's not like doctors don't understand Mm -hmm. that there are varying hormone levels, uh, even within this binary that they're sticking to, um, but for some reason, they can't move out of it. And I'm like, I don't... Because I think it would take an entire overhauling of yes. a system, and they don't want to do that. Yeah, they never do. No. Which brings us to another thing that I, I just think I is a really important note, which is like the barriers to healthcare that trans women experience and trans people um, in general. Um, it's something I wanted to talk about in this episode just because I think, I don't know, I think it's important. I think we're not talking about it. Also, I think it is a huge issue in Canada and Ontario specifically. And we often, like, do not cover this stuff. And we, especially because the idea of Canada in the rest of the world is that, oh, we have free healthcare here. Everybody can get everything that they need. Yeah. It's a mecca, whatever. And the truth is people are really, really suffering. Yeah. Um, so I came across a story that I think exemplifies this really well, um, but it is also a pretty horrible and heartbreaking story, and while I think it's important as, like, cis people, we have to sit in the uncomfortableness that we are complicit in when we don't, um, recognize these things or stand up for our, you know, trans fellows and peers, but I think if you are a trans person, you know that this is happening to you, you don't need to be re-traumatized, so in the show notes, we will put the minutes where this is occurring and you can just skip over it but I think if you're a cis person I would really urge you to not only listen to this but read this story um so you know what's going on I mean also you should just care about trans people because it's the decent fucking thing to do you shouldn't have to hear a traumatizing story but I also think it's important to understand what's going on under our very noses yeah so Gwen Benaway is a trans woman and a contributor to the Globe and Mail so this is her, one of her stories. So she suffers from Crohn's disease and she was admitted to an ER in Ontario. Um, so first off, the nurse refuses to believe the gender on her health card and is just like, no, I'm gonna like look into the system and look into your file. So she looks into her file and finds out, finds out that she had gender affirmation surgery. Um, and then after that moment, she refuses to call Gwen by her name and refuses to refer to her by her gender like what the heck so right off the bat we're doing bad then she sort of like eggs the nurse eggs on the two paramedics that bring her in to quote unquote sneak a peek at her genitalia because they'll never see anything like it again um which is horrifying this is like a horror movie it's horror it's absolute so you're vomiting First, not that, like, this shouldn't, this is horrifying on any rate, but you're coming into the ER because you're vomiting uncontrollably. Yeah. You're not unconscious, which would also be fucking awful, but you can hear, like, they're talking about her like she's not there. And they're saying these, like, awful, horrible things. It's so infuriating. She finally gets in to see a doctor who, first of all, refuses to examine her vagina, even though, like, this could possibly be a complication of the gender affirmation surgery she had had three months earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, So he refuses to examine it. And then on an x-ray, he, like, so her, both her breasts and her vagina are marked as unknown matter or material, (laughs) which is insane. And then he, on the x, he, like, shows her the scan and he points to her vagina, where her vagina is on the scan and is like, what's this? And she's like, what do you mean, what is this? And he's like, what is it? And she's like, what? Sir, aren't you supposed to tell me? Like, yeah. aren't you the doctor? You can't figure this no. out? No, and so then she has to explain to him her, about her surgery, which he should already know, but he doesn't because doctors are not educated in, in this, which is, like, fucking insane also. Anyway, he, he basically, she gets... It, released without any diagnosis or anything really so then she goes to a different emergency room that is sort of known for being more lgbtq friendly the first thing when she gets in the door she's berated by healthcare workers um asking her if she's a sex worker or addicted to drugs just immediately off the bat without her even explaining and she's like no i'm not i'm like vomiting 
So then she sees a new doctor and she says to him, I've been vomiting uncontrollably. And he's like, there's no evidence of that. And then she's like, uh, <laughs> refer to the vomit or I'm surrounded no in, sir. no evidence of that. Which is insane also. But basically he doesn't do anything for her either. He offers to discharge her with a prescription for opioids, which has nothing to fucking do with the symptoms that she's experiencing. And this is really infuriating and, like, upsetting to me because the LGTB community is already at higher risk for drug addiction because there isn't education and because often, like, they're marginalized in a specific way. So, like, here is someone coming in who's already been treated horrendously by the healthcare system and he is offering her essentially addiction for no reason. It, he, yeah. It's so upsetting. Also, we're in the middle of a fucking opioid crisis. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? fuck it's insane it's just like so upsetting that she has to go through this to just get treated and so of course if you're a trans person like of course you don't want to go to the er yeah and that is actually one of the like for trans people but also lgbtq people they are afraid of doctors because they're afraid to disclose like especially like you know when you look at the history of how hiv is treated but also the way like bisexual women are treated by doctors which is often to sort of be scoffed at um you're afraid like you become afraid of doctors and the way that they'll treat you and how they'll marginalize you right and like that is heartbreaking it's like you can't even get basic care so there's a survey that runs in canada on access to healthcare for trans people and this is specifically ontario and it found that 21 percent of trans patients avoid accessing emergency medical services because of a fear of being treated this way and 52% um, indicated that they had negative experiences in ERs, which, like, a fucking course. Yeah, that's heartbreaking. It really is. And there's a transgender discrimination survey, I think this is out of the States, and it finds 90, 19% of trans respondents had been refused medical care, and 50% of trans respondents were required to educate metal, medical staff on transgender-specific health needs because they're not being taught it like that's terrifying yeah can you imagine going into a doctor and you're like having to teach the doctor what to do no yeah yeah and i this isn't on the same level at all and we'll talk about it in the next episode but like a lot of women with endometriosis have to do that they have to go into their doctor and be like hey this is what it is and the doctors are like what and you're like excuse me and obviously now there's a framework with that for this so it's not as bad but like this is just like truly horrifying and also that even if you do explain it to them you the doctor still might not know how to treat it because they haven't been taught it yeah and even doctors who are i think it's it's plastic surgeons for the most part who are uh, undergoing um gender affirmation surgery or not undergoing who are doing gender affirmation surgery um but even then, their knowledge is in genital reconstruction. Yeah. Like, it's not, like, there are other things. It's there are other specific, issues that yeah. trans people face. We need to be dealing with all of them. We only care about the ones that's going to make us money. Yeah, which, oh. <sighs> that's the other thing, right? Like, so, in the States, gender affirmation surgery is not covered. In Ontario, you can get it covered under OHIP, but in order to get it covered, you have to have been seeing a psychiatrist for a certain amount of months before, and uh, therapists in Ontario are not covered, and they're actually not covered fully by most healthcare plans, even the better ones. So, for reference, like... Because who cares about our mental health? No, and for reference, like, I have to see a psychologist, I believe, and my uh, appointments are $225 a uh, an appointment Jeez. right so like if you have if you don't have that money then you can't get it's all fucking nuts yeah like, it's so horrendous um and also there are transgender people who like don't have don't undergo surgery because it's their fucking choice and nobody else's fucking business and doctors don't know how to treat them and like that's also horrendous and also strange like why 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 would that decision affect your medical treatment like your ability to treat someone medically yeah well like it's like they don't know how to treat someone who's been on hormones they don't know how to treat like it's like a whole thing right it's awful and i just like i thought it was important to call attention to because we we don't talk about it enough and it's not enough to say oh include more women in research like if you're creating policies and that's the language it's not because you know that if the call is that general it'll be white cis hetero woman and that's not the only thing we need to be studying and accounting yeah. for. Yeah. Like, that's not it. 
that's not that's not it no no if you're not specific it always ends up being a straight white person yeah i mean media is an excellent example of that like if it's a movie that's just about people it's going to be about straight white people um anything else and then it has to be like a movie about coming out or a movie about black people like it can't just be a movie about other things with with any kind of yeah like quote-unquote minority yeah like part of it and i think it's a similar thing yeah if you just say like we need to focus on women we know exactly which women we're gonna focus on yeah well, it also doesn't include, like, you know, men who have varying levels of hormones or different chromosomal mm-hmm. makeups either. Like, it's just insane that we're not studying things along those lines. Yeah. None of this is to say that there aren't hard-working medical professionals. No, of course not. And, like, people who, you know, are very dedicated to their job and dedicated to helping people. But it is just to draw attention to something that we don't always think about, which is that these narratives about gender have penetrated areas that we consider to be like factual yes or objective yes and that is really harmful because if you're denying the ability for bias then you start to affirm bias as fact. I don't know if any of that made sense. No, it does. I agree completely. It's just like we often think about science as if it's an objective field, but you're like, okay, well, no. Like, yeah. someone is producing this, and yeah. that means they're by nature, it's not objective. Yeah. And I think, like, I'll try in the show notes, I'll try and link. There's a couple of organizations in Ontario specifically that are advocating for um, a more comprehensive. Uh, trans education in healthcare workers so we will put links so you can donate to that because I also think it's important like if you can to support those organizations Um, it's all good and well to get enraged and be aware but it's also important if you have the resources to contribute so we'll do that so in conclusion fuck the hippies yeah and being in pain is terrible please believe me Yes, absolutely. Yes. All right. Uh, we'll uh, catch you in uh, two weeks. Ew. If you've made it all the way to the end, we thank you. We pity you, but also we thank you. You can find us on all kinds of socials we don't know how to use. Uh, we're Akoroco, A-W-K-O-R-O-C-O on Twitter and Akwadoraka on Instagram. If you have topics, ideas, questions, compliments, you can email us at akoroco at gmail.com. We do not accept complaints. Um, if you like what we do and you want us to do it better, you can support us on Patreon. We'll leave a link in the show notes. Big thanks to Nathan for our intro music and Callum for our beautiful icon art. We'll link his Instagram in the show notes as well. He does real good art. Please check it out. That's all she wrote, folks. See you next week. Go be awkward.